Hi, this is Louis Canio. Welcome to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This fast-paced weekly podcast delves into the latest scientific findings on how we can all live longer and better lives. I'm the dad, and my daughter, Nicole, is a family medicine doc who trained at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. We hope you enjoy this short, informative show, and please be sure to visit thedoctorandad.com. Uh, and by the way, the doctor is abbreviated in that. So it's T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for the show notes um, and other resources to help you learn about extending your health span. Within the notes, you'll find links to a bunch of stuff we discussed. So be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening. Hi, doctor. Hi, Dad. It's been a while since we've chatted, at least in a, in a podcast format, um, and, and I know you think you have a good excuse at being a new baby, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and we should note that uh, you're back in Omaha, uh, obviously, with, uh, mm-hmm. with the baby, and um, he's not sleeping right now, so. <laughs> yes, you might hear some some noise in the background, but. He's usually pretty good, so shouldn't interfere too much. We will persevere and, and push on. So um, today's episode is all about um, this thing called direct primary care. And, and is it a better option than, let's call it standard primary care? So um, let's, let's start off with, by, by kind of defining what direct primary care is and how it's different than standard primary care. So with direct primary care, really all it is, is a, you know, a, a fee system or a, you know, a, a way that physicians and patients um, are, are paid um, as opposed to the insurance model or the way that patients pay physicians as opposed to the insurance model. So it's more of like a fee for service type of um as an alternative to the fee for service, that, which is what insurance does. So if you go to your doctor and they take your insurance, the insurance will, you know, say, oh, you um, provided X service. So maybe your preventative exam, and this is what we're going to give you for that. Whereas direct primary care takes out the insurance completely. Um, and it's, it's just paid for kind of out of pocket by the patient. And there's tons of different models, but most will have like a subscription. So, cause what you get out of it, is going to be a lot more access to your doctor, more time with your doctor. Um, And from what most studies and most doctors would say, better care. Um, So a lot of people will charge like a membership fee to have that access to your doctor, Um, you know, anywhere from a thousand to up to, you know, $25,000 a year and some really, um, really high quality concierge services and then lots of them will also have a fee for you know certain visits and that sort of thing um but really at the end of the day the dpc model is just a a means of payment um and the rest of the rest of your care is is just done by your primary doctor and presumably better because you get you know more access and more time right so so direct primary care isn't necessarily synonymous with concierge medicine. No, because most concierge um, will 
bill um, yep. insurance. Now you wouldn't have to, um, but concierge is kind of like that really that more elite kind of um, service where you are going to get, you know, kind of 24 seven access to your doctor um, whenever you want. And you're going to pay for that. Um, but it's more of that in-depth um, access to your doctor and then probably even more time with your doctor. And I would, I would guess more like home visits and, and th- stuff that would cater to the patient um, as more of like a, a product for them. Right. So those ones are pretty, those ones can be a lot higher as far as the month or the yearly annual fee. Um, but a lot of other parts about it, um, are similar. The thing with direct primary care is it does not bill insurance at all. Concierge can also bill insurance. Right. And, and that, so it's interesting. So, you know, the, so the, the primary characteristic is the payment method difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also Im- implied in direct primary care, and you, you alluded to it is lower patient loads and therefore more time per patient. Right. So, 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 so it, it, you know, it, I, I'm just curious, one must drive the other, you know, the economics of not having to deal with insurance companies and reimbursement rates and, and all right. of the, the overhead that goes with insurance claim processing um, allows those physicians um, to, to spend more time with patients. Right. Because if you're, looking to kind of make your average salary um, and you're taking insurance, insurance is, you know, deciding and Medicare is deciding how much your service is going to be reimbursed, how much you're going to get back. And obviously they're making plenty of money. So they're taking a cut. Um, And in order to kind of keep up and keep up with your overhead and, and everything, you have to see a lot of patients in order to, um, kind of just make your average salary. And if you work for a hospital system, you know, it's also your production or your RVUs are what drives your salary. So you need to be as productive as possible. And in an insurance-based payment model, that means seeing as many patients as possible, possible. Um, which means less time for each patient um, and, and, satisfaction for the patient right there is going to go down because you feel rushed and the the doctor isn't, you know, thrilled either because they're, they're kind of rushing through things and um, burnout's a big deal and all that sort of stuff. So, So, and this isn't, this isn't just theoretical for you because you, you do, you are a primary care physician who works for a a large hospital system. Right. Uh, So what's, what's your experience there? Do you feel um, do you feel rushed to uh, to move patients in and out? Now, granted, you're relatively new, so still building your patient base. Um, yeah, when I so overall, my patient load is reasonable, um, and I don't feel too rushed. But that's also because I haven't ramped up, and I'm not at the pr- productivity level that I need to be at. Um, you know, usually it takes a couple of years to get to that point. So, but there are plenty of days when you know the other providers are out of the office. Um, and I have a higher patient load. So sometimes like even up to 25 patients, you know, in a, in a day and that the only, not the only thing on my mind, but like 
the constant driver of that of those days is getting done on time, like getting that patient out, taken care of, um, kind of like a putting out putting out the fire and getting them getting them out so you don't get too behind. Because if you've got 12 or 16 patients in a half day, like in the afternoon, it doesn't take much for you to get behind. And the next thing you know, everyone's unhappy because they don't want to wait. And your day's stretching longer and longer. And yeah, nothing good comes from that. Um, Well, in in my personal experience, uh, you know, I I basically fired my my direct, uh, my, my, my direct, my primary care physician, not so much he doesn't know it yet, but I'm, I'm not, I haven't gone back for my annual physical because mm-hmm. the last couple of years I go and that annual physical for a you know, guy in his late fifties with family history of cardiovascular disease was about 15 minutes. Yeah, uh, that's pretty, that's average. And actually some would say that's generous. That's generous. Oh, the I amount of feel, time that your doctor spent with you. Yeah. I should yep. feel grateful for, for having that much time. Um, but and, and that includes the EKG that they that they do on me. So yeah. um, just didn't you know I didn't feel there was a whole lot of value. Obviously, this is a subject of interest for me. So um, you know, considering that concierge type of of service or or something else other than you know what yeah. what what happened because because my guy no no you know and and no fault of his own so to speak. He's, Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure he would want to spend more time. Exactly. He's Good. part of a big uh, mm-hmm. system, you know, yeah. Carolina's medical or what is yeah. Carolina's yeah. medical care. So, uh, so the, the question that, so if, if, you know, um, this direct primary care is potentially um, has all these advantages, do we have some research um, that, that supports that in, in some way, shape or form? And I think, you know, the, the, if, if we're, if we're implying that, direct primary care physicians uh, have less patient loads is that, you know, how how does patient load play in into all of that? And what does the research say? Right. So, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. The, I'd say the kind of average primary care panel size um, is up to like 2,500 patients. So one, one doctor kind of has a full panel of about 2,500 patients. Um, and that's, that's a lot. When you look at like direct primary care and concierge, it's sometimes, you know, more like 500. So So 20%. Right. 80% less. Which is, which is crazy when you think about it. Um, so you're basically getting 80% more time, you know, with your, with your doctor who has 500 patients versus 2,500 patients. Um, and the problem with 2,500 patients is, I mean, you can, it's, it's kind of obvious. And we talked about the timepiece already. So if your doctor has that many patients and is already crunched for time, stuff falls through the cracks. Um, and again, I would defend the, the physician, you know, or most of the physicians who are primary care providers because there's just not enough time. No one wants to miss things, but um, you can't do all of it when you've got a 15 minute visit where you really are only able to spend five to seven minutes with your patient and, um, 2,500 patients to keep track of. So what ends up happening, you know, we've got these standard recommended screenings, you know, for people in preventative care to keep people healthy. 
Um, so if you're a smoker for X number of years and blah, 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 you need to get your CT scan every year. If you've ever smoked, you need to have a screening for a aneurysm. Um, if you're a woman, you need to have a mammogram every one or two years, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it, the studies kind of show that, um, only about 50% of the recommended acute chronic and preventative care services are actually kind of given to the patients. So we're missing like half of what is recommended during these, these visits. And that's not just the preventative services. That's also kind of chronic management for diabetes. Cause when you have someone with diabetes come in, there's things you have to do every year for them and keep track of. And it's, it's a lot. And ideally you see that patient with diabetes and you're able to go back and say, Oh, have you had your mammogram this year? But again, it's all about time. You don't have time right. to go back and make sure they've done all this stuff for their physical. Um, so the studies kind of are, are pretty clear that the, the outcomes aren't fantastic because you're not able to keep up with everything. Um, well, so. and, and, and that's just like, you know, okay, some things can get missed, but then all of the other advantages of being able to really, you know, sit down and, and exactly talk to the patient so and counsel and, the patient right so that's not even talking about trying to improve health that's trying to just like maintain triage yeah uh, so then if you want to try to really sit down and optimize someone's diet or lifestyle or sleep and get into the nuances of all those different things you need a lot of time a lot and that just there is that's not given to you in primary care right now if you are um, paid by insurance and or work for a hospital system. And it sounds to some extent like we're, we're between a rock and a hard place in that. Um, what I've read is that, you know, that right now there aren't enough primary care physicians to, to, you know, treat everyone adequately. Yeah. And... There's a shortage because, you know, we're not paid as well as specialists and all of these, um, all of these issues aren't fun for the, provider either so what happens if if all of these primary care physicians decide to go to direct primary care because they're you know they want to avoid burnout and and all of all of that then then you have then that problem gets exacerbated even further (laughs) yes and no maybe that would elicit some some change in the system Uh, you know i because right now i think it's like maybe six percent of doctors do this direct model Um, And then there's, you know, the concern, which is understandable that it's kind of discriminates against people who can't afford it. So you're, you're left with just, you know, health disparity and, and those who can afford something a little bit better like this and those who can't. Um, But at the end of the day, that's not on the physician to kind of hold all of that burden. So if this continues and less and less start taking insurance and insurance starts making less money over time, maybe that would be an impetus to, to finally kind of change, change the system. The other problem with all this too, is if you work for a hospital system and and are, and go through insurance, you have to meet certain metrics in order to continue to get paid. And in order to like, you know, make your, your salary and everything you have to, you know, you have to manage diabetes to a certain, you know, degree and manage hypertension or high blood pressure and all of this stuff. And these metrics are followed. And if you are 
aren't, you know, where you should be, then that's a problem. But then again, they're also making sure that you're seeing 20 patients plus in a day. Um, and then patient satisfaction is a, plays another big role. Uh, so they and survey the patients. They survey, yes, yeah. they survey the patients. And of course, well, I don't know. I've never, I think I've written one Yelp review and that was because there was just like an absolutely terrible experience at like a hotel. But I've had plenty of good experiences at all kinds of different places and I never write a review about it. Um so usually the people who are writing reviews are the ones who aren't happy. Um, right. But aside from that, patient satisfaction. So if you think about yourself as a patient, um, and this is, doesn't go for everybody, but you kind of want what you want to, you want to get what you, what you go in there for. So let's say someone comes in because they have a cold and they want antibiotics. Well, the doctor kind of doesn't think that antibiotics are necessary, but the patient you know, says, well, every time I get this, I need to have this or it doesn't go away. And they walk out of there without their antibiotics. They're not going to be happy, even though that was the best thing to do for the patient. You know, the patient's not satisfied, but does that, I mean, it matters, but does it matter? Was the right thing done? Um, And then the other piece of that is time. So if you go and you feel like your appointment was rushed and you didn't get all your questions answered, it's not your doctor's fault, but you're not happy. You get a bad, you know, the doctor. Or or the patient had to wait. Exactly. No, every, and I think I saw something that like forty um, percent of a patient's um, experience comes down to whether or not they had to wait. Uh, yeah. So, and then it wouldn't be a big deal if it was just like if that patient's experience didn't, you know, directly matter. But it, but these Prescani scores absolutely matter. So it's like, how do you expect, you know, for any of this to work in the model that you? are are given it's really really frustrating right right you can't something's got to give in that in that model where it's there's limited time but there's expectation obviously of quality outcomes and Mm -hmm. high patient satisfaction yep Uh, well i in in terms of you know kind of what what the research has said and, and there actually isn't um, all of the research that I kind of came across said there's a need for more research in, into this. Um, that's gonna. That's probably the what any study about anything is gonna conclude is right. we could do some more research on this. There has been some some pretty good research done around okay um, the impact of physician burnout on patient care, um, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of um, it, it's it's interesting uh, the 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 study I read was a meta study. So it's looking at a bunch of other studies. Um, and I think in the end, it looked like they reviewed like 1200 articles on the subject and, and included 28 in their, their kind of final, uh, analysis. Um, and, and these are studies that are empirical and they measured physician burnout as a predictor of patient outcome measures. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, what it's interesting in this in this uh, study of studies that using self reports of suboptimal quality, so that's you know um, uh, patient self reporting, uh, and errors found uh, it, they, they found that physicians higher in burnout consistently reported worse quality. So right. kind of what you'd expect. Yeah. But 
studies linking burnout to independent clinical outcomes found no relationships. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So kind of confounding there to some yeah. extent. And, and similarly, um, burnout was related to low, lower patient ratings of care. So the patient, when they, that when the, when the patient rated, not that, so the first part was when the doctor rated themselves, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 they found, um, they reported worse quality, but then the patient also did. Yeah. Uh, but um, when specific behaviors were rated, there was no relationship. So, um, so again, you know, the, the conclusion of this thing was more, uh, more research yeah. and, and um, more rigorous research needs to be done. So. Yeah. Physician burnout is a hot topic right now. Um for all of you know the reasons we've already talked about, because you can imagine going to work every day with facing those kind of battles, and you know a big a big part of it is the insurance and insurance reimbursement and everything, because so much you know centers around that, and they're those aren't you know doctors who are setting this kind of um, standard. So right, it's right. Tough. It, um, and we should say that that physician burnout isn't just in the primary care no, not at all. realm, mm-hmm. but it is most probably most acute there to some yeah. extent. Yeah. Um, so so I think you'd mentioned that only six percent are of all primary care physicians are in that category of direct primary care. Why, given you know the burnout issue and the potential for uh, to make more money in the direct primary care model? Why aren't we seeing a higher percentage of physicians? Um, well, I think this is. I think this is kind of a little bit of a newer thing, um, and I think it'll do nothing but increase over time. Mm-hmm. So I think we're kind of just at the beginning of it. Um, but then also, there's definitely a lot. Um, I think you don't learn as much in medical school and residency about how to start your own practice anymore, because so much is just bought up by hospital systems and um, larger groups. So the focus whereas it used to be that so many primary care doctors were own their own practice. It's not really the case anymore. And it almost makes it, it almost makes it something that's daunting to think about um, doing everything on your own with everything that needs, you know, the, the checklist of stuff that you need to keep track of. Um, and if you don't have a background on that, then it's like, you know, you feel like you have to go to business school to really do it and do it correctly. And when you work for a hospital system, there's or a larger group, there's a lot of, you know, there are benefits there. You don't have to deal with a bunch of the administrative stuff. Um, you know, so there's stuff that is kind of taken care of for you. Um, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of doctors just aren't, a aware of how to do it right well that's that is the question is do you need all of the support of a a larger organization in order to 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 you know be effective and uh, yeah and i think the answer to that's no um as long as you you know you don't need as much ancillary staff you don't need um you just need you know a few a few different people helping you and you're able to kind of take care of it with much, 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 much lower overhead. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, and, and it'll be interesting also to see how technology affects this, uh, you know, what, what we're talking about, this whole, this whole primary care model. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, uh, telemedicine has been around for a while, but, but now it's, it's becoming, you know, FaceTime medicine and text medicine and, right. and all of that. And there's actually a company, I think it's called 98.6, that that's their, that's their kind of model is, you know, anytime access to a physician for any reason, uh, but, but not face-to-face. Right. Uh, well, it could be face-to-face, but it's yeah. FaceTime. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of stuff that you can do virtually for sure. There's a lot of questions that can be answered. There's a lot of stuff that can be triaged. Um, so that's something that, you know, I think will only be taken advantage of more and more um, because that can help save the patient and the physician time. Um, but right now, like I answer all kinds of patients' questions and whatever over um, my chart messages and their online electronic, you know, medical record, whatever they send me. Um, questions and some people will send me paragraph on paragraph and um, <laughs> ask me all kinds of questions and some some doctors will just completely say they'll just respond with needs and appointment you know but it's kind of tough because you can understand if they you know just want this or that answered or want to know if you can refill this before they have to come in and that sort of thing um, and that's fine but you can end up spending a couple hours a day at, at least on those kind of things and you don't get paid for that like i don't get to submit anything for for that Um, right so it's and that's so it's expected by the patient and it's (laughs) it's expected that we respond to these um but it's not something that i can submit like in a a bill for right so that's a that's a clear indication of the payment model not supporting what it because that is certainly more efficient than the patient making an appointment now granted sometimes an appointment is is just needed that but uh, my guess is a lot of those a lot um, is fine to answer yep electronically yes that process um so right if you were you know getting paid that annual fee by the patient then you're happy to answer those questions because that's what the model set up for but when i'm sitting there at the end of my day you know replying to all of these when i'm not it's not you know, going towards my production, then it's a little bit more frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so, um, uh, so for, for whether it's a listener or for, or for me, um, how do you, if you're going to go out and, and look for a direct primary care physician, how do you do it? Well, usually you can just Google it. Honestly, you can find direct primary care in blank. Um, and the if you go to like AAFP, which is the American Academy of Family Physicians, you know, you can find doctors who are registered as direct primary care doctors in your area. And um, probably it doesn't take too much work to find someone around. Gotcha. And and are the so uh, fine. So we can find all these doctors. <clears throat> um, how. You know, I don't have the time to interview them all and, and kind of, mm-hmm. how, so is there a, is there some sort of rating system that, you know, the, the, the consumer could go to like a Yelp for doctors? Oh yeah. There's all those like, you know, review your doctor things, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, take that 
to mean anything because that's another big problem is an angry patient who doesn't get their pain medication because the doctor right. realizes that it's not necessary is the one who goes on and writes a scathing review and there's nothing we can do about it. It's just there for everyone to see. So I don't know of any really good um, objective rating system, but you know, word of mouth um, is one thing. If you know someone who's had a good yep. experience um, and it's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, a quote unquote meet and greet visit where you just meet the doctor and see if, you know, you click and that sort of thing. That's right. Yep. So research and, and um, like, I guess it's, you know, uh, it's like any other consumer type of uh, event, um, mm-hmm. you know, buying a car or whatever, you got to put in your, your research. But right. fortunately, like you said, there are all sorts of information sources out there, mostly online. But yep. Yep. Well, great. Great. Um, awesome catching up with you again. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll talk about this subject as it evolves in the, in the future, but, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to start to do my research. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good luck with that, uh, that little baby. Thanks very much. Okay. Love you. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening. You can visit thedoctorandad.com, that's spelled T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com, for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.